0: Welcome to the Crispin Commentary, Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Crispin. Topics on today's episode include looking ahead to Valentine's Day, my interview with Garth Graham on the current MA environment, and what is pushing interest rates upward. Today's podcast is presented by the Stratmore Group, the data driven mortgage advisory. At Stratmore, insights and knowledge are applied to guide mortgage clients to make sound strategic decisions and take actions that improve their success. To learn more, visit stratmoregroup.com. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day, traditionally associated with love. But on the opposite side of the spectrum, an Ohio animal shelter is offering to write your ex's name in a litter box and let its adoptable cats go to town. (laughs) Someone there knows good PR. Did you know that some countries never know who won the Super Bowl? As the pre-printed Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl 2023 champs t-shirts are shipped off to places like Guatemala or El Salvador, in this country, bond market traders and investors are focused on inflation. The Consumer Price Index report for January is tomorrow, and is forecasted to show a 0.5% month-over-month rise, with energy prices higher again. The headline year-over-year inflation reading is expected to drop to 6.2% from 6.5% in December. We probably won't see inflation back in the 2% range unless the labor market softens considerably. And that's not evident. Too much inflation will keep the Fed increasing rates to slow it down. An unexpected low level of inflation should be greeted with jubilation that the Fed's measures are working. Stay tuned. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back to the show M&A expert Garth Graham to talk about just that. What's been going on in the M&A space? I should ask since you're such a Bruce aficionado. Mm-hmm. On Thunder Road, is it Mary's dress sways or Mary's dress waves? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Mary's dress sways. That's yeah, funny. I think I agree with you because dresses don't really wave. Dresses sway right. so, grammatically. Right. That would be correct. Uh, mm-hmm. you were on one of my first shows and actually you were, you were my, uh, most, most requested and most frequent guest for a while, but I, I seem to have lost your number. Uh, oh, God. it could, could suit you because like you said, you've been busy. There's a lot of MNA going mm-hmm. on out there. Uh, and you, you had speculated at the time, there'd be a lot of consolidation. Talk to me about what's happened in the last, I guess, tw- you know, 23 months or, or, or more, more recently, what's been going on, uh, sure. what you're kind of predicting for this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the funny part there is uh, two years ago when I was on, it was March 2021. Um, at that time, I predicted that there would be 30 M&A deals in 2021, um, way up from 2020, where there were only 15. And that was two years ago, by the way, interest rates, for those of you just historically want to keep track of this, rates had just shot up in March of 2021 to three and a quarter. And we were like, whoa man that's going to cut back on the refis so we all know that you know we got another couple shots of uh of uh, adrenaline into the system uh, before we really saw the turn down in 2022 so since then so that that year 2021 there were 33 M&A transactions 2022 this last year um there were about 50 um you know and I say about 50, and I'll tell you in a second why. Hey, how come you don't know the exact number? Because you're Stratmore. you are you supposed to know this stuff? The reason is, is the a lot of MA deals, especially ones we do, we do not announce it if at all possible. Because really announcing an MA transaction, hey, we sold, you know, putting out press releases really only helps the recruiters at your competitors. So we generally try to get them done without a lot of fanfare and without a lot of press releases, but somewhere around 45, 50. 2023 is going to be probably 60. So it's a, uh, you know, there's still a lot of consolidation going on. And the one thing before we leave that topic or that number is last year, let's say it was 50. It wasn't 500. And this year it's not going to be 600. And I say that just because the headlines, people often think like, oh my God, there's so much M&A. And granted, one a week, 50 is a lot, but it's not, you know, Ten a week. The whole industry is not consolidating, although we're certainly seeing consolidation at staff, one officers, and um, you know, from co- the company perspective.
0: Yeah, you throw out that that one a week. Why do you peg it at that level? And and I guess how long will this last? You know, this current wave.
1: Well, it's generally the the industry is is probably more like a fifteen to twenty a year. Um, back in 2028, by the way, was the last high water mark until last year, in 2018 rather, was about 33 deals. Last year was 50. This year was going to be about 60. So back to back getting 100 deals is a pretty fair number. And this is out of a you know, population that's really only somewhere depending on how you define uh, meaningful mortgage originators between 500 and 1,000 companies. So that level of consolidation in the last two years is you know between 10 and 20%. Depending on how you segment it. When the market begins to come back and the forecasts are 2024, it will begin to go down, the MA. And it will because mortgage companies typically are owned by individuals. And if they're continuing to make profit, if they're increasing their retained earnings, if they're feeling that they're able to continue to compete and perhaps recruit, then they'll stay in it. And, um, you know, the only variable is if you look at the demographics of people who own mortgage companies, um, it's sort of like, and this is a podcast, you can't see me, but I got gray hair, I'm 57 years old. And the demographics of the average owner of a mortgage company is kind of old, older. So, you know, um, there are people who are approaching the exit, whether it's this year, next year, or even in the future years, because they are approaching the end of their career. So turning the keys over to somebody else makes sense.
0: I, I want a little more color on the the M and A space here. What of sure. these deals that happen? What what percentage is Stratmore involved in? Are you at liberty to say that? And then, kind of what what aspects of the deal are you helping with? Either from you know, little yeah. So to it, the overall. Yeah, thing? so I'll,
1: I'll kind of walk you through the anatomy of how these, these deals happen. Most of the time, it starts with a combination, a conversation, of course, under under NDA with us, Stratmore, where. A individual mortgage company wants to find out what is happening in the M&A space. So they sort of often approach it, not a, hey, I'm ready to sell. It's sort of more in the I'm just trying to understand what my company might be worth and what happens in the case of a sale. Most people have never done it before. You know, how do I get my balance sheet? Can I really get a premium? What happens to my people? So usually for us, it starts with a consultation. Most of the work Stratmore does is not M&A. I happen to be focused on it because it's a, it's a big need in our industry and there's a lot of demand for it over the last couple of years. But most of what we do is, is not M&A. Most people we talk to in any M&A context don't sell. So it starts as a consultation, one of my options and an education, and that's really the way we approach it. So then, it's sort of okay. I, I could be interested, and then we try to figure out—you know—are you a good candidate to be sold now? In some cases, there's things that sellers ought to shore up: um, inconsistency in compensation plans, any concerns around compliance, you know, that type of thing. But in some cases, you know, it's really a, a, a function of can you keep the band together, and this does this really make sense for you? And thus, will someone value you? And how much might they value you? And thus, would you be able to, you know, financially, does it make sense? And the good deals, and like I said, a lot of them, you know, people say, yeah, I don't think I want to do it. And, you know, right now in the market, the way it is right now, with so much pressure, people are coming into three buckets. You know, I want to invest and there's plenty of buyers. By the way, we have like, 20 companies we've are involved with in m&a transactions with buyers right now i mean there's 20 very active buyers in the marketplace and so they are interested in acquiring production and also in other words growing into a down market so that's one category they're investing they want to buy the other company category is people who want to sell and you know i think my company maybe worth more to someone else, and therefore I'd be willing to take my chips off the table and get what I can for it. And the third, which is a totally reasonable bucket, is hold. Hold is reasonable, meaning I'm going to ride my way through it. As long as the the owners of the company understand the financial implications of that, meaning your retained earnings may go down. If you have a couple quarters where you don't make money, You may have to take some money that you've taken out in previous years and put it back into your mortgage company. And the third one is not being naive that the loan officers or branches are doing their own calculus related to what's the best option for me. So if a big branch or region left, how much damage would that be to your value? And don't assume that those branches and regions aren't thinking the same thing. So, you know, everyone's sort of making the I'm investing, I'm exiting or I'm holding and, you know, not to get into poker metaphors. Um, that's really, you know, sort of the decisions that everybody's got to make in this sort of market.
0: Well, I'm going to throw out an old adage and that that is that it's better to sell when you can rather than when you have to. And so I I think the the logical question here is in this current environment. Are people still making money selling their company? I mean, a lot of the value of mortgage companies is, is the servicing portfolio or the you know the, right. the office chairs, rather, than, you know, because the people can can move at a at a drop of a hat.
1: Yeah. So, I would answer this way. Um, absolutely, people are still getting premiums. The last deals that we have done um, in December all had premiums. Uh, last three of them. And in premium meaning you're getting an upfront amount of money in addition to the fact you get your balance sheet. The reason, and a lot of people say, well, you know, and these sellers on a lot of these deals aren't making money right now. 80% of mortgage companies in the third and fourth quarter did not make money other than in servicing. So they're not making money, yet someone's willing to pay a premium. Why is that? And the reason is because the value to the buyer of that production is significantly greater than the value to the seller. And that really, and you hate to do it because we should be empathetic when I use terms like synergy and cost saves, that that really means people. But the buyer can buy a production, a billion dollar franchise, and not take the corporate staff. And the corporate staff is secondary HR, risk technology all of that and on a billion dollar mortgage company that could be 4 5 million dollars well that's 50 basis points so if you're a break even company you know and you're make yourself available for sale the buyer probably will make 50 basis points on that production if they can keep all the producers there uh, more than you would that is, you know, we refer to it in the M&; A space. that's a synergy, financial synergy. Like I said, I understand I'm saying it's about cutting staff. but that financial synergy then shows up in the form of a premium paid to the buyer to make that deal happen. So the last point I want to make is I did have a big if caveat in there. If you can keep the people. So you also, in addition to the spreadsheet that calculates a premium, There is an art form to determine are these buyers and sellers a a good cultural fit? Will the salespeople stick around? Will they embrace it as an opportunity too? That is critical. And that's actually where, like I said, it's the art form. It's almost as important as anything else we've talked about. And it's where good buyers really pay attention and say, look, I don't think this is a good fit. And where good sellers say, I might want to take less money you know, from a buyer where I think it's a good fit because I feel safer that my people will stick around, which will make the deal better in the long run.
0: Rates rose over the course of last week as investors priced in expectations for a more hawkish Federal Reserve, meaning it will continue to actively do what it takes to fight inflation. Also rising was consumer sentiment open February, according to the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey. The strong jobs report the week before last probably contributed, but gasoline prices are likely the driving factor. Unfortunately, for those who want the Fed out of the way, inflationary expectations increased, rising to 4.2% from 3.9% in January, while longer-term inflationary expectations remain steady at 2.9%. The trade deficit increased by 12.2% to $948 billion during 2022, equal to 3.7% of GDP. During the prior decade, the deficit averaged 2.9% of GDP, and on the bright side of things, the trade deficit significantly narrowed with the European Union due to a surge in exported petroleum products as a result of the energy crisis brought about by the war in Ukraine. However, the U.S. saw its trade deficit widen with other major trading partners such as Canada, Mexico, and China. Consumer credit continued to expand in December, albeit at a slower pace than analysts had forecast. Most of the increase was in revolving credit, which increased at a 7.3% annualized rate. Tighter lending standards were cited as a reason for the slowdown in non-revolving credit, which weakened demand for student and auto loans. Consumer sentiment remains low compared to long-run averages and perceptions of both current and future conditions are mixed. Expectations of inflation over the next year rose slightly to 4.2%. Unlike last week, this week sees more higher-tiered economic releases with potential market movers, starting with consumer price index tomorrow, then retail sales on Wednesday, and producer prices on Thursday. Other higher-tiered releases include regional Fed surveys, industrial production and capacity utilization, business inventories, homebuilder sentiment, import prices, and leading indicators. Plenty of Fed speakers are scattered throughout the week. The week is off to a quiet start, however, with no economic releases of note today. So we begin the day with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from Friday afternoon, and the 10-year yielding 3.73 after closing last week at at 3.74%. The two years up to 4.54%. A priest, a minister, and a rabbit walk into a bar. The bartender asks the rabbit, What do you have? To which the rabbit replies, I don't know. I'm only here because of autocorrect. <laughs> Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, The Stratmore Group the data-driven mortgage advisory. At Stratmore, insights and knowledge are applied to guide mortgage clients to make sound strategic decisions and take actions that improve their success. To learn more, visit stratmoregroup.com. Questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities? Send me an email at robby@robchristmas.com. At visit robchristmas.com for more information on our industry partners access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.